You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Welcome, everyone. We are pleased you've set aside some time to listen to this week's edition of Wealth Tech on Deck. We've had some highly accomplished leaders on our show from all walks of fintech and wealth tech, where we examine the confluence of digital and human advice, and this week is no different. Today, we're going to have a conversation about fintech and wealth tech with someone who has been a chief technology officer at some of the largest firms in our industry, as well as someone who has built an organization that acts as an outsourced CTO. And our guest, Doug Fritz, will share much about that. Doug is the co-founder and CEO of F2 Strategy. He's a veteran CTO and wealth tech consultant who leads F2 Strategy's outsourced CTO business model and strategy consulting services. Doug was the winner of the 2021 Think Advisor Thought Leader Luminary Award and has helped many firms improve the experience and financial outcomes for clients and advisors. So, Doug, welcome to Wealth Tech on Deck. Terrific. Thanks for having me, Jack. So, Doug, uh, please share, if, if you would, with our audience, your background, how it all led to the formation of F2, so we just get some of the backstory before we get into what you're working on now. Sure. Happy to. Yeah, I think a little different than the traditional management consulting background, we think. Uh, myself and actually the whole team, so all 25 folks at, at F2 have similar backgrounds, all come from wealth management firms where um, traditionally the consulting industry, like the folks that we would have to hire, had never worked in a wealth management firm or certainly had never done the types of projects that we were asking for help in getting it done. And it's one of those moments as an entrepreneur here, other people have it when you see an opportunity like, wow, why doesn't someone build a firm full of former CTOs that have actually done the work and can help other people get it done too? You just can't not see that anymore. And mm-hmm. I got to a spot where like, okay, I've got to go the drive to go build a firm to deliver on that. And that's really what we've done. And if too, just taking all of our own experiences from working at mid-size and large wealth firms and getting really complicated projects done, integrated projects, client experiences, new lines of business that get launched. And we help the RIA, bank trust, hybrid BD space, even increasingly even some plan sponsor insurance record keeping firms build great experiences that require you know, fairly heavy lift technology projects, selections, contracting, technology lifts, and then the implementation and the, the translation like, you know, hey, team that has never used a new tool in 20 years, here's your new trading tool or your new performance reporting to a new CRM. It requires kind of a kind of background of knowing how to get those things rolled out and translated to make the experience really good. F2, that's our background. And everyone, myself included, has that same background. That's great. So you, you get it. You understand it. You've been there, done that. Talk a little bit, if you would, about F2 strategy and your approach and what you're particularly excited about now, some of the stuff you're working on, maybe some examples of the types of things you do and some of the challenges that you have to overcome, just to give a sense, because I think we can all agree that the future is is both uh, uh, technology-driven as well as human advice-driven, and you got to get the two together, and they don't always sync up as much as well as we might like. So talk a little bit about all that as you bring that together. Yeah, that small little topic, Jack, that, 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 little, <laughs> that little thing. Talk to me about the, the mission of life in general. It's almost one of those. Hey, um, tell me how you're going to transform the world. <laughs> yeah, how do we just make it all just work great? Uh, so – like I mentioned before, like we're the team that helps make a really good decisions. And I think it starts with making good decisions. Mm-hmm. And if you've done this your whole career, and especially if you're 
very well connected to the other decision makers and the folks that are accountable for making decisions at a large number of firms. And, and we run a, a large think tank of the top CTOs and CEOs in the country. So we have a lot of that benchmark information on our own. You see what good decisions look like. You see what bad decisions look like. Mm -hmm. And really good decisions start with knowing yourself, knowing who you are as a firm, what your strengths are, which is easier. Oddly, it's easier for like legacy firms. Newer firms have typically struggle with like, what's our market approach? Well, I don't know. We're an advisory firm. Even a new advisor from an old advisor firm has to understand itself and what it does to attract specific types of clients. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We make our decisions off of what made you great and what's going to make you great in the future. And typically those are tied to some sometimes unspoken about unvoiced value proposition that firm has. So we start with the decision-making process and we get through planning and then we help to execute on those projects as well. That's kind of the what we do. What we're excited about is that when we started the company seven years ago, it was fairly difficult to, not impossible, we clearly knew there was a need, but it was a lot more difficult seven years ago to sit down in a operations or boardroom setting or a you know, president of a wealth firm or talking to advisors and say, hey, we really need to get our technology house in order. We have work to do. We have foregone work over the past 10, 20 you know, years. We got to get it done. Let's go get it done. Let's make good decisions and go spend some money to get this house in order. That was harder seven years ago. It is not hard to have that conversation in 2023. We don't have a sales team. So people just come to us when they need help. And the perceived need and the value that people see in creating automated experiences for clients. Once a client tells you their name and address information one time, you should use that as... You shouldn't have to keep asking the client for it. Sure, paper sure. has been a villain in the industry for this last five years. Still some yeah. firms using a lot of paper. But it really boils down to helping people make good decisions and value... This is a kind of an important concept. Value a client or a prospect's investment in their time in you and your service and what you do. And if you truly value their time, you don't just value when they're showing up to your office. You value how they interpret a report at the end of the month, the quarter. You value how they go through their planning exercise. You value the amount of time and energy it takes them to compile documents for an account onboarding process or an estate planning process. You value that data and you value that time. So you're always providing a higher return on investment in their time than you did before or how anybody else would do. And those are exciting. That's exciting for a firm like ours to have an industry rapidly moving towards the need to use technology, need to hire people mm -hmm. that really understand it and get it done. Um, Super exciting. And, and the, you mentioned the, the sort of integration between um, computers and people. There really are, we don't walk in any firms anymore that don't have already some basis of appreciation for technology making them better, maybe more efficient, maybe making better decisions, maybe being offering enhanced services like customizing portfolios and tax optimization and overlay could be you know telling a better story about performance. But everybody who's using technology where we still see people, this is often talked about where people will say, tech and like things like chat, GPT, and voice to text, and even like computer logic and data to talk like Siri are taking the place or sort of displacing advisors. We don't see it at all. I think it's the technology we see today and the technology we see coming in the next five, 10 years, just help people make really good, high value, high return on investment type experiences for clients quicker. So for example, one of the things we're really excited about is tools. You know, chat GPT is one example, but there's a lot of tools like that that if you give them structured data, like we have a return stream, we have a peer group correlation, we've got market returns, security returns, we've got sector level benchmark market information going back 30 years. We as an industry have a ton of really good structured data, which structure just means that it's reliable in its place and it's easy to fairly easy to get to. Mm -hmm. 
to tell stories off that data, look for correlations and actually tell meaningful, interesting things to investors. Mm-hmm. We are the, one of the best industries that will benefit from this. Uh, a lot of other industries are more qualitative, that nothing's written down, that the data is not structured. You think about like real estate or you know commercial sales type things, that data is everywhere. It's not really good structured data. We have a ton of data. So I'm really, really excited about those things mm-hmm. and specifically how advisors are going to use it to to deepen the relationship between investors and their money or investors and their wealth or the purpose of their wealth. There's really, really cool things that are coming in that area. So I want to dig into that a little bit uh, further down the road, but I want to back up just a second. And one of the things you talked about, or at least we've talked about offline, maybe historically, people bought a CRM and they, they bought a planning tool and then they bought a aggregation tool and they bought all the the stuff. Not unlike they bought different products. They bought mutual funds and ETFs and SMAs and, and UMAs. And so we're, we're an industry that buys stuff. And then lately, and I'd love to have you comment on this, lately it's all about connecting the dots. How do you connect all that stuff and maybe start with the, the tech side and then expand onto the product side because they're, they're flip sides of the same coin. But we just talk about that connecting the dots phenomenon, which we seem to be pretty deep into. Uh, there's no argument anymore that you got to connect the dots. We'll talk about that if you would in terms of a lot of that sort of baseline stuff, I would imagine. Yeah, it, it, it's but it is a bit philosophical, right? It, it's not, and it's something we still do a lot of explaining to people. So the concept that you, you've got a tool to do a thing makes just tons of sense. I need a planning tool. I need a CRM, you mentioned aggregator, performance tool, whatever. And to fulfill a function, it does that just fine. Now, you step back not too many years, 10 years in the past, the concept that technology is here to provide specific functions for my advisor, that's where we all were. We, I was there 10 years ago, right? In 2023, I would challenge that most advisors, whether they know it or not, are in the business of creating experiences, right? It's an experience. We can laugh at it. It's like all these other commercial platforms that are experiences. Like, you know, it's not about the thing. It's about the experience, how you feel about it. But when you have five different tools that have no connectivity between them, your ability to create a unified experience for your clients so that when you go through the planning exercise, you tell me all kinds of stuff about your risk tolerance and expectations for the future and liquidity needs, that when I go to have another conversation with you outside of the, pl- outside of the planning tool, like in a CRM or an account setup process, or we're talking about performance and what that means for the next five years, that I've got to either ask you again or I forgot that I had it over there. The client doesn't forget they gave it to you. You forgot you had it. You're creating disjointed experiences. And so what's what's driving people to, to integrate, it's part of it is efficiency. Like I don't want to have to type the same information in five different times. I don't want to keep it relevant five different times. I want to just keep it relevant once. This saves me time. There's, there's a cost component to that. There's a savings component to that. But really does boil down to experiences. Can I create a great onboarding experience, a great annual review experience that brings together all the things that I'm doing for you, in other words, all the things I'm, you're paying me to do, by the way, client, mm-hmm. yep. into one experience that is efficient, automated, makes me as an advisor look good, makes my clients feel really proud to have picked me to manage their money. You can't do that if things are just spread around. The, the results, some firms, it depends on the size largely, but also I would say it depends on maturity, will connect tools to tools. And that's okay. Better than nothing. The nature of a lot of our technology right now in the United States is that there's not a lot of a commercial incentive for individual vendors to build, natively build connective connectivity between each other. Mm-hmm. Why would eMoney give planning information to Money Guide? They actually do. They have a thing called like a Summit product that, that they built. But in most cases, firms are reluctant to spend money to connect to other tools. 
what we've been doing more with our clients in the last three years is building a data core, like a data architecture core, where the relevant information, CRM planning, performance, transactional, market data, even some due diligence sort of reference data on funds and ETFs and separate accounts is run inside of its own data. And then we plug the tools into our own data. That gives us two things. One, the data is consistent. You capture it once and you can use it as many times as you want to. And two, maybe most importantly, as the future comes faster and faster at us, I can kind of get rid of vendors a lot faster if I don't have to be sort of tied to them as the tool that's integrated everything else. Like I've got this Gordian knot of technology. I can't snip one of those things out without disrupting something. If I got my own data and I'm feeding those tools with my own data, I can move faster. And I'm not as beholden to a crappy vendor as I was you know, last year. So I'm curious. I'm not sure if this is part of your purview, but I'd love to learn. So a lot of what you've described is the data flow, the experience, the connectivity, the sort of amplification of information through a process, soup to nuts from onboarding through recommendations and trading and so forth. Talk a little bit about the soft side of all that. You use the word experience. Do you guys look at talking about that soft side? Because we've got this, you know, it's, it's never ending that people are moving toward retirement and we have a record number of folks in retirement now and more to come, 10 to 12,000 a day we hear, and then their needs and wants change over time. And so they're less concerned about the portfolio performance per se, always concerned about it, of course, but more about what do they do about things that relate to their portfolio? Like, what do I do about where to live? And how do I take care of a child that has a learning issue or whatever the issues might be? Do you guys get into that kind of stuff in terms of helping your clients help the advisors provide a more comprehensive level of advice? Anytime we talk about a client journey, like a prospect to client and client journey, which is something that we do with almost all of our clients is that we work with them on, don't even worry about the technology to deliver it. Just what is the experience we want your clients to have? What is that unique? Going back to the thing I mentioned before, like what is it about you that's unique as a firm? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We find out what those things are. Like why do clients pick to work with you? Oh, you know, we do great with former professional athletes that are like one to two years until they're getting ready to retire from them. We help them sort of get jobs as spokespersons or business development executives or whatever. We manage their wealth and we help them with their lives those unique nuances of client experiences that they want to amplify. Because when you when you amplify them, then all the other athletes will come in. Mm-hmm. We get a lot involved in that. We create what's called a journey maps. A journey map is just a, a written experiential guide of how you want that experience. Look, what point during that journey do you hear about the firm? What's their first, second, third conversations with that firm? Like what really important information needs to get translated? What do we capture? How do we use that information we capture to come back the second and third time with a plan or a hypothetical portfolio. We ask for the client statements, the statement of the current wealth, like in meeting two. And this is what we do with it. We sit down next. So you're creating this arc of a journey of an experience systematically that just makes people really excited. And they're like, yes, I want to work with you. It, it amplifies sales. It, it helps you to curate your, your, your pipeline. Increasingly, that's becoming more digital. Like mm-hmm. how do we use our clients digitally in that way? So the soft skills of working with clients and technology it's come a long way. It does focus on understanding the experience you, you want to amplify, but things like T- CRM, digital client experience, reporting, they're all ready to go. They're so All the tools today are so customizable that you can pretty much deliver anything. The trouble comes, we get called a lot, as you can imagine, after they run into trouble, they'll buy a CRM or they'll, they'll work with a CRM company to get their CRM, but they never went through the process of figuring out what they wanted the experience to be. Interesting. Yeah. And they kind of feel like, well, my, the CRM company is going to give me that great experience. The CRM company is like, no, 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 no. We're, we're the switches in the 
the pipes and the the dials. Like yes. you got to tell us what you want to build. Yep, yep. That gets lost a lot to the point where in our research for the last two years of top wealth management firms in the country, the NPS, like that, you know, score something zero to ten, and promoters are like say folks say like my experience is a nine out of ten out of ten, and the detractors are the zero to sixes. And if you calculate it, like the detractors minus the promoters is your net promoter score. We do that for CRM. Like, you know, what's your experience with CRM? CRM as a topic in wealth management is a negative 46 NPS, <laughs> which is astonishing, right? That's an astonishing number. It's largely because people don't didn't focus on workflow and what that client experience, that soft skill experience needed to be. Interesting. Talk a little bit more about that. I'm fascinated and heartened to hear because it's obviously you're, you're in the technology business, at least that's what you're known for. But it sounds like you spend an awful lot of time that, I hate the term soft skills, but you really about how you incorporate into that experience for the client and the advisor. I imagine there's a lot of focus on getting the advisor up to speed so they're better able to enable the, the investor to make wise choices or smart choices. I'll answer kind of two areas. So one is really interesting and in kind of where we are as an industry where you've got firms that have grown by aggregating other firms. Sure, sure. And there's a lot of them. Like I'm actually one of the things I'm also excited about is that like five years from having more firms over 150 billion, yep. like twice as many firms over 150 billion in the next then we had like the preceding 30 years. Yep. All these firms are getting big. But when you bring firms together, that the soft skill experiential things like the value proposition, yep. why do people pick to work with me? That aggregator firm might have bought five firms with vastly different value propositions. Yes. And you can imagine that sometimes it's a lot of times it's F2 comes in and helps them with it. It's like, okay, what's the experience you want to have? Like, oh, we're one team says we want to have the best planning experience. We're going to plan before they're a client. We're going to set a plan up before that's, that's our prospecting process. And the other team, now at the same firm, like we don't plan with planning, you don't pay me yes. to plan. Why would yeah. I do any planning? Right. That's really challenging. And getting the firm to focus on that soft skill thing that makes them great is super challenging. And the second thing I'll say on it is that this comes up early in every relationship we have. It's so critical to the outcome of what we do yeah. because yeah. we can't hit some vague benchmark of like, make my tech good. No, sorry. Yeah. We won't take that client <laughs> at all. So like really early in the relationship, it's why do people choose to work with you? And why do people stay working with you as an investor? Interesting. Interesting. And it's an uncomfortable conversation. Because you're you're having a with the president of the wealth firm, maybe the head of marketing or someone right, else. Like right. you ask them a question, which arguably they should know that. We often don't ask that question in, yeah. in a large group meeting. Yeah. When you ask why do people work with you, you don't get good answers. You really don't. I people don't often that, know why they work. Yeah, I have to say I'm not surprised. But I would imagine that's largely why they have you in there. It's yeah, you can make all the Bells and whistles and dials and flywheels all work together. But you said it though, like we're the technology team. So I've had many times where someone will say, like, wasn't expecting a technology guy to ask me the yeah. business strategy question, but it's yeah. really important. Talk a little bit about that too, because I'm a strategy geek. I love the whole, frankly, our podcast coming up on a hundred of these things. They're all always about strategy and you're once again serving our objective, which is talking about strategy. Talk about that when you talk to firms. Is that do you tell them when you get there or do they know that when they, they sign up or at least start to engage with you? They kind of know, right? They, they kind of know that we're going to have to have a conversation about strategy. But in the first one or two conversations, not everybody, and maybe half, it will be things don't feel good. Advisors are frustrated. Clients are frustrated. We don't yeah. really know why yeah. we need yeah. you, but we need you. And 
most people are very heartened when we start with the conversation about the client. And I'll tell you the other thing, any organization, new, old, aggregator firm, bank trust, been around 150 years, whatever, doesn't matter. Depending upon where you are in the firm, what you believe is broken is almost always different, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you're the advisor, it's because my operations team can't get stuff done faster. If you're operations, it's because the advisor doesn't give me the right information to start. So it's different teams. Always somebody else. It's always someone else's problem. When we come in and have those conversations, we lead from the perspective of the client and like, why do clients choose to work with us? Why do they stay with us? What is it about us and the experience that is unique and different? Your COIs refer you. What are they saying to their their clients about why they should work with you? When you take the client lens, everybody's on the same page. I love that about our industry. There's not a single wealth firm we work with or I've ever worked with that didn't have everybody from the top of the house down to like junior, one week on the job operations person that didn't really fundamentally rally behind the idea of delivering great experiences for clients. Yep. Right? Everybody's on board with that one thing. And we use it as a, a bit of a tool. Maybe it's maybe Machiavellian, maybe it's not, but to get everybody on the same page with something that they can all agree on, which is a great client experience. And if I got to make you change, if I say, Jack, I need you to change your process. Yes. And I make you change the process because I'm operations and you're an advisor or vice versa. You're not happy about it. Yeah, no. But if I say, Jack, to make a great experience, this is what we're going to do. And the client's going to love us. You're on board. Yeah, that's great. That's very smart. Well, I'd love to keep going on this, my favorite topic, but let's talk about the future. Where's our business? Where's F2? Where's it all going? Where do you predict over the next few years, three to five years, say? The biggest things I'm interested in the future, and this just bears out in some of our research data, is that advisory firms, and this always sounds weird when I tell people because they, they think it's already happened, but it has not. This year is the first time digital client experience jumped to one of the top three spots of areas where our wealth management firms in the country are spending money on. Historically, it's been like, yeah, we'll get to digital. We're going to work on CRM, or we're going to build a, a fractional share UMA sleeving optimizer tool. You know, like that's what we're interesting. Gonna do. Digital client experience, and then data, which is actually highly correlated in right, the right shops is correlated. Data and digital are the top things people are spending money on this year, and I love that. Not because it just because it's good for my business. It tells me that that the concept that a client is going to is and, it, and firms are okay with it. A client is going to wake up at two o'clock in the morning, like pick up their phone, and and experience something about that firm when an advisor is not in the room is a sea change from where we were 10 years ago, yep. right? The yep. biggest blocker to most large firms that have good wealth experiences to innovate and do things with digital was always the advisors. The advisors were reluctant to have a client log in and see something that they weren't sure. going to be able to explain. Sure. It still exists. That anxiety still exists. But that's one of my biggest areas of excitement. It sounds boring. The fact it's that it's fundamental to experiences, <laughs> Yeah, well, it should be. Yeah. But if this is the first time it's really jumped up, 2023 yep. is the first time. Yeah. I'm excited about what else we can do with data. I mentioned before about some of the, the great tools. Um, you know, I, I, uh, it sounds self-serving, but it, it's absolutely true is that you, you can't really use the modern technologies like visualization technology or rapid answer, next best decision, next best answer kind of technology. And then integrating that total experience, I believe, without having a really good set of data to play off of. And that's a really hard hard one to explain because it's both the path to the future for the majority of firms that we work with. It's what we're building our future on is they're on their own data. But it's also one of the things that's really hard. And I I feel reluctant to bring it up if I have to, because it feels like I'm selling it and I shouldn't have to sell it. Data lacks a verb. That's a kind of a kitschy thing we say at F2 is like planning has the word Planning is a verb. It's right in the freaking name of the thing, right? Performance sure. has a verb. Data is a noun, right? We don't yeah. data things like, <laughs> oh, we got to data that thing. Like, no, it's a noun and it does no verb. There's no verb associated with yeah, it. Yeah. And so it looks like, a, why are we spending money on data? 
And it's like 10 different sub verbs that you can use. Yeah. So we need to find a better verb for data. But that's the other thing I'm excited about <laughs> is data and digital. Yeah. And, and then the last thing I'll say I'm excited about is just this. Um, that come from big firms, Wells Fargo, First Republic, right? Like big, big firms. And these smaller firms that through PE backing and like really smart leadership can get aggregated and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Like we're seeing these massive experiential, great new firms coming to market that are really big and really important. Like I love disruption. I'm a bit of a, of a, probably a punk in my, my background somewhere, but like I love <laughs> big firms coming to market and like shaking things up, being super relevant. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I love that. And a lot of those are our clients too, but like we just love being part of those cool stories where firms get big and do cool stuff. It's just, it's great. Well, this has been terrific. I really enjoyed our conversation. It's heartening to hear that uh, this, what I call the confluence of human and digital advice is alive and well and continues onward because you can't do one without the other. And that the way you're applying it all, connecting the dots to use the colloquial expression is just so vital and that firms are catching on. I'd love to hear your comment on this, but it seems to me that what happened, we were moving this way inexorably over the past many years, but it seems like the pandemic accelerated because then you had to have a digital experience to communicate. And and also it was at a time where a record number of people retired, figure their 401ks were fat and it was time to check out. And then they found it shrunk and inflation and all the rest of the economic challenge that occurred. And then they're now they're going back to work. And so they kind of got whipsawed and realized that they got to be more prudent and that they're now in the habit of speaking to their advisors with and through technology. So your comments on that, is it, do you see that, see it the same way? Yeah. The weird thing is we had evidence going back way before COVID that older generations of investors were far more, not just ready, but expectant to deal with their advisors in a more digital way than advisors yeah. thought they were. It was always, we, we've seen analysis and done some research on like how much do you think a 60-year-old client would would prefer to engage digitally? And like advisors would say like 5% of clients would want. And there's like double digits, significant yeah, double yeah, digits yeah, of clients yeah. that said they wanted it. The, the other kind of neat thing that I, I just puts like a, sometimes little sayings like this, put, put the spin on things the right way, which is that one thing that came out of COVID is all of our clients got a lot younger, right? All of our clients got greatest generation and the silent generation, they're like, they all got not quite Gen X millennials, you know, TikToking, but like they all got a lot younger. My mom's on the phone all the time. My dad's on the phone texting. Like yeah. that's where they live now. And they yes. all got young. And with that youth came expectations. The industry's feeling it, which is kind of nice. One of the, the other nice things, and we're recording this in, in April of 2023, is uh, with banking crisis and some emerging sort of variability in outcomes of, 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 of revenue for a lot of wealth firms. On the larger banking side, larger organizations were seeing do some contraction, unfortunately, because a lot of them actually really do need to get their stuff together. But for smaller firms, mid-sized firms, we've seen no contraction in spend. Yeah. And so if you're like a fintech fan out there, like, well, I hope this doesn't delay the adoption of technology, we're not seeing it at all. Yeah. We're seeing firms Same increasing here. spend in 2023. Same here. Doug, thank you. This has been a great conversation. Really have enjoyed it. So one of the things we do at this stage of our little podcast conversation is uh, what are three key takeaways you'd like to share with our audience and what we've been talking about? I think answer the question, like know thyself, right? Like wh what is it about your business and your firm? And maybe you're in a, in a larger business and just your practice that brings people in, like know what you're great at because all your tech money and operational money and structuring really should be spent to just be better at the things you're already good at. It's the most effective way to spend money. I think two is back to that data concept that if you're not already thinking about or bringing your data together and really building a useful set of owned data, 
your future is based on that. If you plan to be in business in 10 years, you got to start working on that right now. The firms that are really kicking butt right now in the market are those that have already processed and already worked on their data many years before. They can do tremendous things and you'll have two or three years to just catch up and you're going to have to spend a lot more money, a lot of time getting it done. So start now. And I think the last is just sort of think about process and experience before you lift a finger on technology. So mm-hmm. if you're building tech to just do a function, not stop, but think about what you want that experience to be. What does that experience for your clients look like before you touch your CRM, before you think about your prospecting journey, document what you want the experience to be before you lift fingers on technology, your outcomes will be significantly better when you think about the process. That's great. That's great. So final question, my favorite off the beaten path in terms of what we've been talking about, maybe we'll see. What's something you do outside of work uh, that you're excited or passionate about that people might find interesting or surprising? Oh, I live in Santa Cruz, California. So uh, not surprisingly, I like to surf, but I'm also a dad to to uh, an eight and a 10 year old. So I think my, my favorite thing to do is just whatever the hell the eight and 10 year old are interested. It could be Legos, could be trampoline, could be surfing, uh, hiking, baseball. I coach baseball teams. So I just love it. But getting out of the water, I sail as well. So getting out of the water is my favorite stuff. That's great. That's great. I, I gather you're closer to the water than you once were. Is that, uh, is that true? I am closer to the water in, we're in Santa Cruz right now and we're in the process of relocating to Chicago. But oddly enough, <laughs> The exact same distance to the water because we'll be in Wilmette. So like <laughs> almost to the foot, I measured it by the exact That's same great. distance to the body of water. That's great. So thanks, Doug. This has really been a fascinating conversation. And thanks for sharing your thoughts and perspective. Very, very interesting. For our audience, if you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share what we're doing here on Wealth Tech on Deck. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Doug, thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Jack. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck, our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by LifeYield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.